to not adjust your tracking. You are now listening to the VH Saturday podcast. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of VHS Saturday, the show where we discuss the strange and unusual, odd and obscure VHS tapes that we obtain through thrift, gift, and grift. My name is Henry. And I'm Allison. And this week, we are joined by a special guest. Hello, my name is John. Uh, I'm a longtime friend of Henry's. I absolutely love movies. And yeah. <laughs> Excellent. It's great to have you on the show, John. Thank you for joining us. I will give you the pleasure of introducing the film that we are discussing today. So today we are discussing The Buttercream Gang. The Buttercream Gang. The Buttercream Gang is by Feature Films for Families, which we have discussed on this podcast in another episode. But this one is made specifically by Feature Films for Family. That's right. So the last episode we talked about them was Frog, which I know you all listen to. (laughs) 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 Well, Frog was a made-for-TV movie that Feature Films for Families picked up. And a thing that they do is they will edit movies that already exist to reflect their quote-unquote traditional values. However, they also created their own original content, and the Buttercream Gang is pretty much their most popular original film. John, why don't you tell us what the Buttercream Gang is about? So the Buttercream Gang, it takes place in Utah, I believe. I assume it's the Utah, but they don't say it. That's where it's filmed. Yes. And the Buttercream Gang is a group of kids that have been around since the Civil War. These kids have been around since the Civil War? The gang has been (laughs) around and they have new members as time goes on. And what they did was they would help Civil War widows do things around the house or run errands for them. Was it the Civil War? I I, I just remember them saying the war. The war. And I assumed it was World War II. That's just me. Yeah, what I read was the Civil War. So it's been (laughs) happening for a long time. Even longer. Holy shit. The the shopkeeper that they go into to buy supplies for their buttercream official business uh, (laughs) constantly refers to his time in the buttercream gang. Right. And so they are just kind of like good Samaritans and help people around the neighborhood. And it's been going on for a long time. And so the movie opens with their president, Pete, moving to Chicago because his aunt thought he could be a good influence on the kids there. And he elects Scott to be the new president. Scott was not wanting to be the president. <laughs> and I said, well, so, if he's the president now, he doesn't want to be. I, wouldn't you just make your first motion be to nominate somebody else? If that's how it just works, you could just nominate I elect Scott. Scott's like, why me? And then he's like, all right, see you later, guys. (laughs) And and so if uh, that's all it takes to make a new one, if I was Scott and I didn't want to be it, I'd be like, you, Eldon, you get to uh, you get to be president. I had to read that off the box. (laughs) I didn't know know Um, the character's name. Guys, we left out a really important detail. Pete moves to Chicago because his Parents died. Is that because his parents are dead? Like, that's Um, what we're assuming. We assume it's because his parents are dead. Because when he arrives to Chicago, his aunt is like, Pete, 
if both your parents were alive still, they would be really proud of you. And all of us lost it there. I, I was like, there's really no better way they could have put out this exposition. Like they had. To- it's like as he's walking up the stairs to like an apartment or something, she just kind of like stops him. Hey, if your parents are still alive, they'd be really proud of you. <laughs> it's like, See, I'm still moving in. Right? It's such an awful thing to say. Like this kid's what, like 17 or something? I'm assuming he's 17. 16 or 17, and the rest of the buttercream gang are just a little younger, maybe like 14. The, oh, it 15. says 14 on the box. Oh. We should have read the box before we watched the movie. We did a lot of research, you guys. We watched, we read a lot about it, but we didn't read the box for some reason. We read a lot about it. I was going to say, because he's so pretty obsessed with bikes and not cars yet. So this probably (laughs) doesn't have his license. Well, there's that, but also like Pete looks significantly older. And he acts older, too. He kind of talks to them in a big brother kind of way more than whereas the rest of them kind of act more like equals. I remember watching this and I at first my reaction to him moving away was because he graduated high school. Mm. I was I said last I was like, oh, he's got to be 18 then. That's why he's moving away to Chicago. But then it turns out, no, some other reason, either his parents are dead and now he's moving back or he's just going to be a good influence. Like one of those is the reasoning maybe both like his parents are dead and now you're going to be a good influence. So that's why you're moving in with this particular aunt. I do remember Pete saying something along the lines of, oh, my aunt is all alone with her kids. Mm, I got to yeah. be there for her. It was kind of like, you know, it was a good guy move. Good guy move. <laughs> like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We come to find throughout the story, really, like the entire conflict is that Pete becomes a bad boy. He goes, he goes to Chicago and falls in with the wrong crowd. And he changed after he got arrested. (laughs) That's what he says. (laughs) You haven't been, his aunt is like scolding him. He's like, you haven't been the same since you got arrested. (laughs) It's like, oh, yeah. (laughs) I mean... When we were watching this, the first I had a few questions as we were just watching. One, how fucking old are they? Because it wasn't very clear. And that age gap was very obvious. But then when he gets arrested and turns into a a bad crowd, it's been like three months. Yeah, it's been like three months. And he's had this complete character shift. He went from buttercreamer to bad boy just like that. Like three months. That's all you need. The most amusing thing to me is how apparently Mormons view what a bad boy from Chicago in a gang looks like. <laughs> a cholo. He dressed up as a cholo. He dresses yep. like a cholo. Yes. Changes his name to Valdez. <laughs> yeah. And then he speaks with a Brooklyn accent. Yeah. <laughs> like they don't even have the accent right. It's like they if if they went to Chicago and found out everybody just sounds like they're from Canada, they were like, oh God, <laughs> this isn't this isn't what we're going for. Yeah. So I grew up in the Chicago area. That's where I spent most of my life. But when I first moved here, I would get shit on for my accent all the time. People would be like, where are you from? What is that accent that I feel that the Chicago accent is pretty unique? Like if you watch the Blues Brothers. You know how like oh, Dan yeah. Aykroyd talks in that movie is like the really exaggerated version of it. Yeah. But it is pretty accurate. But like Pete talks straight up just like New York. Like he asked each other, like, was he in 
What kind of gang is he in? Is he in the mafia? Yeah, <laughs> Cause, right. Because he's like talking about the spaghetti being not as good yeah. or something. He the makes... spaghetti's not as good here. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> like, like, what the fuck happened to you? Or his aunt makes it with ketchup. <laughs> yeah. She makes spaghetti with ketchup, but you know, it's no big deal. I feel like, yeah, he's a young kid actor channeling Al Pacino. They told him to watch some gangster films, and instead of like the only thing that their blockbuster had was uh, Goodfellas and like The Godfather, he's like, all right, those are those are gangsters. He's trying his best, okay? And in fairness, I thought Pete was like, the one highlight for me of the whole just I love the acting like just how overacting it was and how like that it was he's like in an argument with Scott and he's like you never once asked me what happened in Chicago <laughs> you never once asked me and I was like I love this that's this bullshit awesome. though because <laughs> in the beginning of the movie Pete moves away in like the first couple minutes of the movie it's like the first thing that happens yeah and then we see a montage of like so Scott and Pete were like best friends and so Scott is writing him letters and he's all like hey Pete how's Chicago blah 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 and he's writing him and getting letters back but then over time he stops getting letters back and so he's like what's going on with Pete he's gone but then Pete comes back and this is where the buttercream gang notices that he's changed got some new threads Mm -hmm. (laughs) mm-hmm It's a direct quote, Reds. Um, He doesn't seem to have the same values anymore. The first thing they do when they meet up with Pete after he gets back is they all go to the grocery store where Pete used to work. And first is my treat. Mm -hmm. He's going to get him all some soda pops. There's the one kid. I forget which one it is. I think it was Lanny. Lanny ends up buying the soda pop. But then while he's doing that, Pete goes and steals a bunch of Hostess fruit pies. <laughs> Which are like a dollar like a dollar a piece. Come on, man. And then one thing I loved about that was when Scott, who noticed it, but didn't say anything, when he brings it up to the other buttercreamers, he says, I know he didn't pay for them because he doesn't have that kind of money. And they said, well, maybe his grandpa gave him money. They said, his grandpa doesn't have that kind of money either. Right. And I'm like... <laughs> For ho- four Hostess fruit pies, like, <laughs> like I, I guess how? Are you so aware of his grandpa's finances? I know, right? Like, 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 are they struggling that bad that you know he could not afford four Hostess fruit pies <laughs> from the corner store? What's the name of the guy who owns the place, Mister Graff? Mister Graff, yeah, something like that. It's a very small town that they live in. This very is rural, a very There's... small town. Yeah, so I just assume it's a farming community. Everyone had a big ass house. Yeah. <laughs> It's I know like, everyone's got a big ass house. Like, mm-hmm. dang. All right. The young blonde children can just run freely in the fields and they're playing jump rope in the yard. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they and count like, to 10. Yeah. The kid who's jumping the rope just like falls down and all the other kids fall down. And they all start laughing. Like, is this is like it, a small town I, I rule? Said, I, I was like, is that, is that a game? Is that a rule? <laughs> like I haven't jumped rope in like 25 years, at least not with other yeah. people. Yeah, I was like, did he fall down and they were falling down to make it like less embarrassing for him? Or are they like mocking it? Are they mocking <laughs> him? Or is it like, like, oh, we're all falling down. It's funny. I don't. Is, is I it don't a game know. where they all imitate whatever the person does? I don't. 
There's no, there's no rule. They should have played kick the can also. I like, I had to Google what the rules for kick the can were. <laughs> I was why? Like, oh, they're playing why kick did the you can. have to Google that? I don't know what the rules are. Kick the can are. Do you? No, but I just love that you have the need, the desire. Like, okay, I see this game being played. I have to know what the rules are right now. I'm gonna Google it. Look, none of the rules in this universe are really explained to us, so we're forced to kind of figure it out. Right, the whole ourselves. entire because at first they shows them like jumping rope, counting to ten, and then them dropping. And I'm like, okay, weird. Then the next shot shows them playing kick the can. She kicks the can, and then she starts covering her eyes and counting. And I said, is that how you play kick the can? <laughs> I've only heard of this game. Yeah, and so we're like, well, maybe it's like hide and seek, but like kicking the can is how you initiate the countdown. <laughs> and then found out, yeah, that's exactly what it is. Like, <laughs> what was that? You found like an article talking about it. it's like it's a game of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> the Wikipedia article. The Wikipedia article says kick the, kick the can is a game of agility and stealth. <laughs> it's a combination of tag, cops and robbers, and uh hide and seek. It's basically just Metal Gear Solid. Wow. It's it's you kick the can and Wherever the can lands is where the jail is. Everyone hides, and when you get caught, you go to the jail. If one of the people that are still hiding can make it to the can and either flip it or kick it, depending on the rules, they can release the prisoners. Sometimes all at once, or sometimes whoever was held the longest gets to go back out and hide. But if you can't do it and get caught, otherwise you go back in the jail. So it is a, a game of agility and stealth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this small town. It's is, literally a white picket fence town. It shows absolutely. them painting a picket fence white. Emphasis on the white. Every, yep. <laughs> every actor is white. In the they fixed movie. that in the sequel, which we won't go into, but we all did watch. <laughs> yeah, we we will get into it briefly. The, but uh, this, they they noticed as soon as they put on the sequel. And I said, there's a black girl and a Hispanic boy. Yep. Someone noticed. <laughs> yeah. Someone noticed when they were watching. Good on them for. Uh... We actually wanted to talk about the second movie <laughs> as our primary film, but as we watched it, we were like, we can't work with this. I tapped out. I it's tapped out so, so fast. bad. The Buttercream Gang kind of has like a so bad it's good quality to it. Things make sense enough. The second one, things are just happening. Shit just yeah. flies off the rails. The second one, know. things are happening while at the same time nothing is happening. It's one of those. It's very boring. It's supposed to be like an adventure film. What's the title of the movie again? The sequel? Secrets of the Treasure Mountain or something like that? Yeah. Secret of Treasure Mountain. Mm -hmm. So you're like, oh, cool. Adventure film treasure this one i killed the franchise <laughs> they tried making it to a franchise we're gonna just throw these kids in all kinds of wacky adventures and no we like to call it the uh the buttercream gang extended universe <laughs> <laughs> they get back they start hanging out with pete again and they're questioning like why is pete back and then they say maybe school lets out early in chicago which means this all happens within the same school here yeah he's not gone long at all and if he is they do a really bad job of demonstrating that i want to know how small of a town this is because no matter where they went they were running into each other mm -hmm. like how small of a town is this where you can't go anywhere without running into that guy that you're trying to avoid well you know what henry i'll tell you i just looked it up so this takes place in Elk Ridge, Utah. The population was 2,436 at the 2010 census. 
And this was filmed in like 1991. 91. So it was probably less than that at the time. So yeah, very small. And it's next to a place called Lofer Mountain. And I think that's really funny. Is Lofer Mountain where the secret is? <laughs> <laughs> is that the secret mountain? Secret treasure? <laughs> Probably, let's it be honest. Like it. it probably is. That looks just like what it was in film. <laughs> <laughs> so Scott calls Pete out and they start having a discussion about how Scott doesn't know what happened in Chicago and stuff, right? And they start butting heads about that because Pete doesn't want to be Scott's friend anymore. So the Buttercreamers, they do all kinds of tasks for people around town. They mow lawns, they deliver the newspapers, they break into widows' houses to get them off the ground. Oh, wait, that's another thing. How come all three of them have fucking paper routes if it's such a small town? Really quick, Elkridge, Utah has their own website. And it's really bad and hard to read. But I did see that. Look at that here compression on that JPEG. <laughs> by 1980, there were 99 homes built in the town and a population of 381 people in 1990, the year before Buttercream Gang was filmed. The census reported that there were 771 residents. John, I think that's around the same amount of people that were in our graduating class. Right. That's the entire town of Elkridge. All right, you know what? I'll I'll give it a pass then, because like (laughs) at the same time, I remember going to school and being in the same building, and there are some people I never saw that graduated with us. That's true, too. That's good information. They're like, damn, mm-hmm. that's that's crazy. Yeah, yeah, it is small, very small. So uh, when Pete comes back, right, they start hanging out still. And I got to hand it to Pete for a minute because he obviously changed and grew a lot. Not for the better, but he grew as a person. He grew out of being a buttercreamer. Mm-hmm. But he's hanging out with his old friends and he's like, hey, guys, yeah, let's hang out and ride bikes and stuff and he was doing all these childish things still with the other buttercreamers and eventually like oh i gotta i gotta dip out i gotta go do a thing and that's when he started his own gang right there was like a transitionary period where yeah. he was kind of hanging out with like half of yeah because he was like yeah. dropping the them to hang time. out sometimes to go hang out with the other yeah the other kids now Ooh, where did those yeah exactly come from? where did they come from <laughs> i have it in my notes where did this other gang come from? It's these two other kids. He starts terrorizing the entire town of fucking 700 people with these two other kids. But who we don't see at all. Like when Pete is still in Elk Ridge, there's no sign of any other gang. Everything right. seems it to seems be totally like a perfectly peaceful. perfectly small, peaceful town. He yeah, only right. gets involved in gang activity when he moves to Chicago. And then when he comes back and he's all ganged out, suddenly there's like two other kids. And they form their own gang. And it's like, well, where did these people come from? Yeah, they're very, like, minor. They have very few lines, if any at all. Like, the only lines are them taunting the girls' glasses. Yeah, they're just cronies. They literally don't have names in the in the credits. Really? Yeah, they're marked as Pete's Gang Boy 1, Pete's Gang Boy 2. Wow. The activities that they get into, some of them are pretty awesome. When they started that fire, I was like, yes! (laughs) Yeah, we do see fire. And like smashing the glass on the railroad tracks. I'm like, I could do that for hours. (laughs) When when that was happening and Pete was like, come on, make it, hit it, make, make a toss. Like, why can't you hit it? I was like, that wasn't written. 
That was totally off the cuff. You know it is. He was doing it in character, but like they were really missing. They hit the first couple and broke the bottles and the other gang members started missing and Pete's egging him on. I was like, how much you want to bet that he's like, we only got enough bottles to do like one take. You're messing this up. We only got two bottles broken. What are you doing? Al Pacino improvising. What are you doing here? Come on. I learned a lot of things in Chicago. How to throw bottles <laughs> They start just terrorizing everybody in the school, right? That's one thing he starts doing. Mm-hmm. And then they go to the playground and they pull these two girls off of the seesaw to go use the seesaw when they're like 16 years old. Yeah. I'm sawing now. Because the Buttercream gang, even though they're like 14, 15, they hang out with a lot of really young kids. Yeah. Like I'm talking like eight or nine year old kids. But I mean, if there's only 700 people in your fucking town, like, <laughs> do you got a choice? Yeah. If you're 14 and the kid that also likes baseball is 10, you're going to hang out with the kid that likes baseball because he's 10. And I that guess. four year gap is you're just going to make do with it. I don't know. I feel that the buttercream gang is kind of they have like Peter Pan syndrome where they're afraid to grow up, even though we see them take on a lot of responsibilities that, you know, in my opinion, should be handled by the fucking police. (laughs) We'll get to that. We'll get to that. They take on these responsibilities. But at the end of the day, like they're very um, they're very childish. And so I can kind of see why Pete being slightly older, you know, he's almost an adult. So, yeah, hanging out with like 14, 15 year olds who just want to like do their paper routes and whatever. It's not as fun. But at the same time, Pete turns into a total asshole. Yeah. He and his friends literally start harassing Scott, like the legal definition of harassment. It turns into a harassment. off. First, do, is that before or after they jump him? They start taunting the girl that Margaret, I think Margaret. Margaret was. She was like one of the few, I don't know, bright spots with her sarcasm. And like she had some good little one liners in there. And then she took her glasses off to go to the dance. <laughs> and then she never wears them again the rest of the movie. And I almost like didn't recognize her. He's doing the paper route and he throws the paper and like hits her right in the face when she's sitting on the porch. And he's like, oh, sorry, Margaret, I didn't see you there. She's like, what am I invisible? <laughs> But then, like, Scott owes her a favor? Or something. I don't know. What? Why does he owe her a favor? I think she gave him some information about gangs so that he could learn more about (laughs) what Pete was dealing with. Mm. I think that's what it was. Because there's a scene when they're all sitting in the treehouse. They have this, like, sick treehouse where they have their buttercream gang meetings that treehouse was dope they got like a they got a cow skull did you see the cow <laughs> skull like mounted up like yo that's rad yeah that's <laughs> brutal as fuck so like margaret runs up one day and she's like hey scott so i'm here to cash in on that favor you owe me he's like yeah what is it and she's like you're gonna go to the dance with me tonight tonight and it's like Dang, dude, she just gave you no choice. And then she takes the glasses off when they're going to the dance. And she's like, what, you didn't want to go to the dance with me? And Scott was like, no, I wanted to go. And she's like, well, then what's your problem? And she's like, I've just never seen you this pretty before. And like, 
Okay. Yeah. <laughs> was that all one day? Because that's the same day she gets harassed and he gets, yeah. They were terrorizing her earlier in the day. Yeah, it would have been before the whole thing worked out. And the gang sharks on bikes. Yeah, they're yeah. circling around Margaret, just taunting her. Taunting her. <laughs> and Scott comes in and stands up for her mm-hmm. and then tells Margaret to, to go home. And then. Do they beat him up there? Mm-hmm. They jump him later, I think after the dance. Yeah, at the dance, Pete's gang gets into some literal domestic terrorism. They throw explosives into the dance. I mean, they're firecrackers, but still. Still. Yeah. (laughs) I was like, that would be domestic terrorism in this day and age. And if there wasn't such a small town, people would be running Mm -hmm. because there's a mass shooting happening. Oh, yeah, there's just like a big explosion. They all just like scream and go back to normal. And I'm like, everyone just steps back. They're like, where was that? Yeah, oh, carry on. And I'm like, eh. No, Nowadays? No. Yeah. That's nah. not gonna happen. <laughs> no. But that starts the, the war because Scott comes to the window, right? And then Pete's like, Scott, it's on. I told you it's gonna be on. And then the next day he jumps him because they're... Well, Pete doesn't jump him. He makes his friends jump him because he can't do it himself. Because Scott's, mm. you know, pushing his bike around in a field and Pete comes out. Starts getting his faces. Don't you ever talk to me like that. You're never going to talk to me like that. Get them, boys. And they like <laughs> jump out of the fucking woods. And they just start beating him up. And that's the next day is a picnic. Like a whole town picnic. And he comes like stumbling back to the picnic, bleeding. And his friend's like, Scott, you missed everything. Holy crap, what happened to your face? And he explains it. And that starts the harassment war between the two of them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They're basically like rival gangs at this point. (laughs) Scott's dad talked to Scott about it. And he he told Scott. It's a Vietnam story. Yeah, (laughs) he has some story about Vietnam and some guy that just always turned the other cheek because he'd always introduce himself as like, hi, my name is Greg and I'm a Christian. Yeah. And I guess everybody would make fun of him Mm -hmm. for that. But like the scene prior to that, we saw the dad like leading the family in prayer. So like, I'm not sure. Why are you making fun of this guy for being a Christian? I get the feeling that Scott's dad is one of those guys that was like anti-religious for a long time. And then like saw people die in Vietnam. Yeah. And then came around to it. And now he lives in a small (laughs) town in Utah. I can can see that happening. Yeah. So then he basically gives him this story and tells him, you know, Kill him with kindness, essentially, more or less. Yep. So Scott is doing things uh, like going about his life, but Pete is interfering and harassing, like during the big baseball game, like taunting him. Yeah, let's see. Okay, so I forget what other ways he harassed him. So when Scott's doing his paper route, Pete and his gang is behind him picking up every newspaper that he throws and then piling them all in his yard. So he has to go do his paper out all over again. Then um, they're planting flowers in Widow Jenkins' yard. We didn't really talk about Widow Jenkins. We'll get to it. We'll, we'll, we'll get back to it. Okay, <laughs> so they're planting flowers in her yard and they come in with their bikes and run over all the flowers. Then there's like, there's so much. There's, there's like a, a whole montage. It's a montage of things that are happening, but. Here's why I was asking how small of a town it is, because Pete's gang decided to just be really nice and kill him with kindness. So they first they told the shopkeeper that Pete was stealing mm-hmm. and he was like, well, yeah, you should have told me earlier, but I knew. And the reason I wasn't doing it, anything about it is because 
Scott needs love right now. And that's what Scott really, not Scott, Pete needs love right now. And that's what he really, really needs. So next time he comes in, I'm just going to give him the soda because then he's not stealing it. I see where they're getting at with that, but I, I feel like that would only work in like a small town. You right, know right. I mean? So he's a Scott's, little bit of a fairy tale. So yeah. Pete tries to steal <laughs> Scott's bike and then he's like, you know what? You can have it. Take it. Take my bike. If I was Scott's dad, I'd be like, what the fuck, Scott? That was 150 fucking dollars. How the fuck are you going to do your paper route now? Do you, know how, do you know how many hours that takes me at the fucking factory I work at? Like, I'm assuming he works at a factory. You see him working He's on, probably a farmer. You see him working on like an old ass truck and other shit. It's like, do you know how long it takes me to get that bike for you? Are you kidding? You just give it to that fucking kid? And I don't feel like it would do anything because I feel like if you're some gangbanger from Chicago and you try to steal a bike, someone hands it over, you're like, well, darn, I didn't get the satisfaction of stealing the bike. No, you're like, all right, easy, cool. free bike. Didn't they make some comment where he was like, that bike would have gotten stolen in three seconds back in Chicago? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like... I loved all the references to life back in Chicago. Yeah, like, the big city, so funny. the so big city funny. in Chicago. And I think it's really funny because like Utah, the closest like bad big city is what? Like Vegas. Yeah. Or L.A. Like like a big you're talking about like a big city that you could paint as like somewhere that's bad like Vegas. Right. It's much closer to Utah. Was like Chicago or or even New York. They could have said. I was going to say New York. If That's they what, if they said he went to New York, so many more things would have made so sense. So many more things. So many things would have made more sense. <laughs> yeah. Than going to Chicago. His accent, for one. His accent. <laughs> that, that's hands down. Him being a bit of a cholo. I think there's more of a a Hispanic gangster presence in. Fuck it, and like it would make that would make more sense that going was to like LA, LA. but like I still feel <laughs> yeah. I still like he was from East LA. Yes, talked like he was from New York, and then I still feel like even even going to New York, you could say okay, he got mixed up with uh, with a cholo gang in New York. Fine, that makes that makes more sense than shit fucking Chicago. Yeah, because, especially because like New York is literally the most populated city in exactly. our entire country. Exactly. Like anything goes, you could make anything up. You, you have in, in New York, you have a little town for every ethnicity, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You have little Italy. Like even white people need well, their own little version of it in fucking New York. You kind of <laughs> you kind of do in Chicago too. So that would still make more sense than going to Chicago. But anyway, yeah, none of it. None of it makes sense. So during this whole entire like feud between them, they're following Scott around to harass him. And the way they harass him makes sense for him to follow him around. All right. He's helping out the old lady. We're going to undo what he did. And that's essentially what it all comes down to. They're just going to undo everything that Scott is doing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But when they're just like hanging around, Scott's also there when they're like at the playground. Scott's there to like harass him and be nice when they're like hanging out by the barn, just sitting on the like the ground outside the barn drinking soda. Scott runs, drives by with his new bike. I'm assuming he got a new bike somehow. Paper route money. (laughs) (laughs) And he literally throws a gift wrapped picture of them, of of all them together as the Buttercream gang in a picture frame. Gift wrapped like they throw it to him like. 
That makes no sense to me. I get the whole kill him with kindness thing. I get where they're coming from with it, but I feel it's just not played realistically whatsoever. No, I think that if you, you know, you have a friend that you grew up with and they get to a point where they're not the same. They don't want to hang out with you anymore. As a matter of fact, they actively dislike you. You don't have to constantly try to get them to be your friend. I was really feeling that he was trying way too hard and that I would have been like, Scott, fuck off. Like, if that was happening to me, like, dude, I told you we're not friends anymore. Stop trying. Yeah. Like, I get it's one thing, like, to give once the feud stop or for Scott to, to want him to stop fucking with him. Mm-hmm. But Scott was like, be my friend, please. Yeah. You'll always be my friend, P. Yeah. And, and it's, it's just kind of sad, like from both sides. From like, both sides. I would have been like, no, dude, no. I think like the question is like, what is what does Pete like want? Like out of he, all of this? He wanted somebody to tell him no. Oh yeah. That, that's so the climax. The, that's, yeah. We'll yeah. get to that though, because we need do need to touch on where the fuck were the police? <laughs> Yeah, okay, so the Buttercream Gang is in charge of their, they do like, not all only do, of good they, deeds. do they do good deeds, they also do vigilante fucking justice. <laughs> so, old lady, right? She Widow Jenkins. Widow Jenkins, she fell again. So they literally break into her house by hoisting one of them up with a rope, and they pull him up uh, to get him into the second floor for some reason. Because the front door is locked. They can't mm-hmm. get in. So they have to find another way in. So they have to go up on the second. Break the fucking balcony. window. You turn. <laughs> break. They would never break a window. <laughs> they're, they're, if she fell, time is of the essence. What if she fell and she's bleeding out? Exactly. So this is why they should have called a fucking ambulance. Call the police. But no, they're like, no. <laughs> we got this. We got to rig up a rope and a pulley. And we're going to use our 14-year-old bodies to, to pull the lightest one up. And now we can't do it like last time because Pete's not here. So we don't have as much weight on the fulcrum point to get us up there. It's so bad. And like, okay, they call her Widow Jenkins. It's like, why do you have to constantly remind? (laughs) There's just this theme throughout this whole movie that's like, hey, let's remind people that their loved ones are dead at every possible opportunity. Sorry, your mom's dead. (laughs) Sir, I'm just, sir, this is the Wendy's. (laughs) (laughs) But But yeah, she's like the resident old lady who needs help. So we're always like, you know, buying her groceries and planting her flowers and shit. And they're, they're helping her out again. But that doesn't make, like I said, that does, doesn't make sense where all these other kids help them reach that final point by tackling everyone on the rope. And that's yeah. not how that works. <laughs> that that would have just made him drop to the floor and break both of his legs. Because he would have like, he was, the, he was on the second floor at that point. He would have dropped down oh my and God. just broken his legs. Yeah. So they get in her house and they help her up. and. I don't know. It happens again and then later. I think in the movie. She sends them to buy groceries like yeah. immediately after. Yeah. <laughs> she's totally fine. Like she gets up. She's they're like, let me help you up. They're like, all right, yeah, thanks. And that's it. That's it. Maybe that- that's why they don't call the police. Maybe, maybe Widow Jenkins is just over dramatic and like <laughs> maybe maybe it's not like a life of life or death, but it's just her arthritis. She's like a turtle. 
Well, <laughs> she, she rolls well, on her back. You gotta just. Well, somehow the I think it's the little girl always knows like when someone's in trouble. <laughs> yeah, there's always a little. She's girl. like Lassie. <laughs> Nobody. She's like a little Lassie. Nobody had cell phones, so the only way for Widow Jenkins to have the kids come get her groceries was to fall on the ground, <laughs> and then magically the little girl knows that she's fallen and gets all the kids to come help. And she's then... like, "Help! Help! Buttercream gang! It's Widow Jenkins! She fell again!" It's like, "Yeah, but how do you know that?" Because <laughs> you were looking through her window at the time, just like... creeping. She's like, just, like maybe any she's day like now. their resident Harriet the Spy or something, where she's just like checking on everyone. I mean, wouldn't Widow Jenkins really just need to like call Scott's dad and just like? Hey, or I don't want to go to the store. Can (laughs) you send Scott and his friends to go get my stuff? It's one of those days. You know, know, she could just call the fucking police. Haven't you heard of a thing called showmanship? (laughs) (laughs) So the other time they should have been calling the fucking police was uh, she runs up. Harriet the Spy runs up. (laughs) (laughs) Harriet the Spy runs up and says, uh, Pete's house is being robbed. <laughs> yeah. yeah, what the fuck? And they're like, oh, and they all start going. And she's like, and we said, why aren't they calling the police? Yeah, there's an active robbery going on. And like, then Harry the Spy says, shouldn't we call the police? <laughs> and like, no, we should go investigate first. I'm like, you're 14. Yeah. This is official buttercream business. Exactly. <laughs> So it turns out they go in there, right? And they dogpile onto the robber. Yeah, so they sneak up to Pete's house and they look through the window and they see this active hostage situation (laughs) taking place where there's some older man holding Pete like in a fucking grip. headlock. Yeah, in like a headlock. And he's just like- stocking on his head so his identity is concealed. Yeah. He like a sheer like nude colored <laughs> like you know who that yeah. is but he's like uh give me the money or he's gonna get it or whatever and then Pete's grandpa is like it's in the safety deposit box I don't have it I don't have it whatever and so the buttercream gang is like oh shit this is serious so they barge in to try to so stop they, the team the the robber comes out because I think they're gonna go to the the bank, bank? I think that's what they're gonna they're gonna go to the bank. They get to the safe deposit box. Oh, that's right. And they were waiting outside for him. First of all, why do they telegraph their attack by yelling dog pile (laughs) before they jump on? And then this army of small children just runs out and like tackles this guy. I'm like, what if he had a weapon? Like, first of all, no one in Elk Ridge, Utah has a weapon or a phone, or a TV, or anything, like... Somebody's gotta have a weapon, because that cow that they have in their treehouse did not die of its own. (laughs) Maybe it did. Maybe. I don't know, but, like, just the the bad guy activities that we see in this movie are totally, like, not threatening at all. Except that fire. That was nice. Yeah, the fire was cool. I gotta believe, like, the Vietnam War vet probably has some kind of weapon. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. He's got to defend his family and his farm, you know? But why why isn't there any police? I mean, a town of 700. I would I would guess it would be like a county sheriff. You have like one guy always. At we least did one see guy. the police once. At the very end. At the very end. But before we get to the end. So they dogpile on the guy. 
And then they're like, Pete, we saved you. And he was like, You didn't save me from nothing. Yeah, he was like, This, this is, is all planned. From nothing. <laughs> <laughs> it was all a plan. That you ruined Pete, it. Pete's plan was to stage a break in and a robbery. So they could get his grandpa to get the money or whatever out of the bank. So he could go back to Chicago. Yes. I don't know why he couldn't just ask his grandpa. I'll be like, Grandpa, I want to go back to Chicago. This is bullshit. Yeah, right. Like, Miss that deep dish. I'm sure. <laughs> I'm Chicago sure his grandpa would be like, dish. thank fuck, get out of my house. You are ruining this town. Yeah, right. Take those two kids with you. <laughs> I think Scott actually says something like that. He's like, he should just go back to Chicago where he belongs. Yeah. You know? but. That's where all the bad people go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so then Pete runs away and I mean, a bunch of other shit happens, but the climax of the movie the is, meltdown. is that Pete has a fucking meltdown. He goes Cause, nuts. Because he goes to rob the grocery store. To get his money because he's so desperate to leave. To like rob the cashier, not just stealing the fruit pies. <laughs> he goes after the money and the, what's in the cash register. Yeah, and so he's sticking up this grocery store which, which is full of people with no with no weapon <laughs> no weapon nothing no. threatening he just walks up and says give me the money old man and, and then, he's like he's like well here yeah i got like, 217 dollars or something he's like no give me everything in the register he's like okay yeah you need some money i'll give you some money pete and he's like what the fuck is wrong with you what is wrong with this town you don't just give someone the money when they're robbing you. Yeah. What is wrong with you? What Which, is wrong with all of you? You know what? I agree with that sentiment. <laughs> like, no. how the fuck does he just walk in and he's like, give me the money? He's like, yeah, okay. I mean, you don't know what he's got. That's what you're supposed to do. You're just like, all right. Yeah, here's. That here's. is true. But also, like, you know, you it's know Scott. this kid. <laughs> or you know it's Pete. Yeah, Pete, yeah. You know this kid. He used to work for you. Like, you know, he doesn't have anything that can hurt you. You know, he literally doesn't have anything. Yeah. And that's why you're going to give it to him. You could just tell him to leave. What's he going to do? Like, well, he trashed the store. Yeah. He loses his shit. They all come because they all come into the store, right? The Mm -hmm. the Buttercream game miraculously comes into the grocery store. Because I think they chased after him when he ran away from his house. After they foiled his plan, Pete runs away. Why did they bother chasing him? The plan's foiled. Like, all right. I'm because gonna... they don't know when to fucking leave Pete alone. Like, like straight up. I think it, it seems like the grocery store scene that makes this movie so much better than the second one. <laughs> yeah. Because there's like an actual like conflict and this kid is actually like really struggling with something. And he just wants some form of boundaries or consequences. Because that's what he actions. starts talking. That's exactly, exactly what he wants. What does Pete want this whole time? He wanted somebody to tell him no. Somebody to stop him. Somebody to listen. Yeah. That's all he wanted, really. Yeah, because so Pete gets this like fucking stick and he starts like smashing all the things off the shelves and making a huge ruckus. And Scott is just like, what do you want, Pete? I don't get it. What do you want? Yeah, and Pete says, I want you to hate me. And Scott's like, hate you? Why? And he's like, because I hate myself. And I was like, oh my yeah, god. That like, was this deep. is... I feel wow. like somebody else wrote this scene. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you have so much like corny, cheesy like dialogue through the whole thing. 
and then all of a sudden you have like stuff like this and you're just like oh all right it turned into a a lifetime movie real quick after school (laughs) special yes yeah absolutely and um so then basically pete goes back to chicago and then we find out at the very end that he has. Whoa, wait, 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 before wait, we get there, man. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. The ending. <laughs> the editing of the ending oh was so funny. So then me. we see the shot of. We finally see some fucking police action. Yeah, yeah, we see the police. We see the police pull up to the house and we see Pete's grandpa get out of the passenger seat. And Scott comes in the house and we see Pete's grandpa. We see a, an officer. Oh, no, I we forgot see, about this. We see a pastor. And we see Scott's whole family and we see a bunch of the neighborhood friends. And then Scott's dad's like, Scott, I just want you to know it doesn't always turn out like this. And <laughs> yeah. I'm like, oh, God, what did Pete do now? And Scott's like, what happened? And then and they string him along for like. And then Margaret's like, like, I'm so proud of you, Scott. You she did says, the right thing. Yes, yeah, she's like, you did the right thing, Scott. And I'm like, OK, yeah, you were still trying to be nice when this guy was a dick. I get it. And then they start reading a letter from Pete's aunt who said, well, Scott's dad, Scott's dad said, I think we ought to have the Reverend read that letter. He's he's better at this stuff than I am. That was that was that was the other part, I think. Was it was that the letter? Mm -hmm. Because somebody read the letter and and there was also a newspaper clipping. And then then we got to the newspaper clipping. Somebody else read that. Yeah, I don't remember who. So Scott read the newspaper clipping and the pastor read the letter yeah after his after his dad's like the pastor is more experienced with this sort of thing so you're still bracing you're, like, yeah. you're like oh, you're uh, on the edge of your he seat he's dead right it's like yeah. somebody's dead or in jail right that's yeah. that's what you're expecting from bad boy cholo mr valdez right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah so then scott reads oh. the fucking newspaper article and it's just like Good guy gang started by Pete. Yeah. Uh, Congratulated by the mayor of Chicago. I have the I have the quote here. It says today at two o'clock, the mayor of Chicago honored. And at this point, I'm just like, what is going on? (laughs) (laughs) For the first time in the city's history, a member of a gang. The gang was Pete Turner. Mr. Turner's gang is rather unusual. Uh, Mr. Turner says, if you accept yourself for who you are, and truly love others, a lot of good will happen. And then, yeah, he starts his own branch of the Buttercream Gang in Chicago. <laughs> like, that meltdown happened, and that's, he just needed to get off his chest, apparently. He goes back to being... He needed to see a therapist, and I think that we can all agree that yeah. after your parents die, that's something you should go through. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, it's just crazy. Like, what an ending. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> at the it was like at the very last moment you find out that Pete returns to who he was before. And yeah. It was just a phase. <laughs> it's just a phase. <laughs> yeah. So the lesson that we're supposed to take from the Buttercream Gang is treat people with kindness, do the right thing, blah blah blah. Well, at the end of the day, the Buttercream Gang is a drama. It is a drama film. It is slice yeah. of life drama, like Henry, like you said, an after school special type thing. Teaching these, you know, Christian values, the turn the other cheek is basically the whole premise of the entire movie. So this movie got really popular 
among certain crowds, mostly like religious families and stuff. So feature films for families thought it would be a splendid idea to make a sequel. And so you, dear listener, you probably think, well, where do they go from here? Maybe they talk about the the Chicago chapter of the Buttercream Gang. Maybe it's the next generation of the Buttercream Gang. No, it is not what you expect at all. It's actually like a Goonies ripoff. It's a Goonies ripoff and the box art rips off uh, Indiana Jones. That mm-hmm. font is totally stolen from Indiana Jones. I One reason I think it didn't catch on isn't just because the movie's absolute fucking trash. I'll be honest, when I grabbed it off the shelf, I didn't realize it was the Buttercream Gang. When I saw it at the thrift store, oh, I really? got I got it just because I saw the feature films for family, mm. and that was like, and ah, the cover yes. is very obviously like, uh, it's an Indiana Jones ripoff, but like all of the characters are drawn, yeah, on it, and like the artwork is really bad. <laughs> so it's one of those things that's oh, we got some knockoff Indiana Jones from feature films for family, and it wasn't until I got home, I was like, oh, this is another buttercream gang video. They made more than one, yeah. yeah. So it's yeah. it was not obvious at all. So I think their graphic designer failed on that. So even people <laughs> that would have wanted to buy it didn't know what it was. Yeah. So I believe that the sequel came out only like two years yeah, later. 1993. Mm-hmm. Um, but Pete's not in it. Unfortunately. Unfortunately. <laughs> but we're left with like the rest of the cast with a couple additions. They're, you know. Uh, they added some people of color. Yeah. Two people diversity, of color. Two. <laughs> a little bit more diverse. They sprinkle it in there. We got a, a little um, black girl and we got a Hispanic quota. boy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and the tone of the movie is completely different from the first one. Uh, it's very goofy and like silly. And it starts off with Spanish conquistadors bearing treasure. I may have been under the influence last night when we started watching it, but yeah, we started I, drinking like before we even watched because we watched them back to back. We started drinking like before the first one. So by the time we got to this one, we were just like, I Bro. forgot what movie we were watching when first it was like, I was like, OK, and then we see the buttercream. I'm like, I'm like. Allison, I'll be honest, I forgot what fucking movie we were watching. <laughs> because when it like the it goes first, on for so long. The first several minutes is just like um Elk Ridge in 1532 or yeah. something like that. And these Spanish conquistadors are like something with treasure and they're in a cave. And one group says to the other group that like, because we have the treasure, you have to do what we say for the rest of time or whatever. And there are some people who still abide by these rules to this day for some reason. Sidebar. You know what that reminds me of, actually? What? The beginning of Surviving Edged Weapons. Because it starts out with that, like, first edged weapon attack with two fucking cavemen. Oh <laughs> and then it takes place in modern Milwaukee. Yeah. <laughs> The rest of the movie takes place in modern Milwaukee. <laughs> so that's, it just reminds me of that. Oh, my God. Yeah. Which is a much better movie. Watch Surviving Edge Weapons. Yeah. <laughs> Get your hands on a copy of that. The, so, yeah, the second movie also focuses on Eldon, yes. who is the fattest one of all. Yeah, he's kind of kids. like the comic relief. And in this <laughs> one, he had it's like when he had this like issue with his self-esteem. Yeah. He was like, I can't do anything right. I got to find the treasure to finally do something right. And it's like, where was this last movie? Like, 
You seem perfectly so fine. It starts with him not being able to water ski. Oh god, and you that's know his we, big conflict. You know we fucking have left out this entire fucking time. How much Elden would sing? Oh my god, from, what's that fucking, what's that fucking what's quote? quote? You got the right one, baby. You got the right one, baby. Uh huh, uh huh. <laughs> he would sing that repeatedly throughout the movie as like a cheer or like just any kind of reasoning. And we were like, "What, what is song that? What is, is song that? that?" And we find out he's he's quoting a goddamn Pepsi commercial from 1990 <laughs> with Ray, Ray Charles. Yeah. Was in a uh, the very last Crash Dummies PSA. By yeah, the way. we yeah we made a pretty uh, off color <laughs> joke about everybody in everybody that in that being blind. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the joke my dad always told me was, "Have you ever seen Ray Charles' house?" Just the more we do this podcast, I'm finding there's so many crossovers i, so I don't know if it's things. just because we review stuff that's all in like the early 1990s pretty much <laughs> like that same span of time that we see a lot of the same actors and production companies and stuff like that but yeah this uh this diet pepsi campaign was 1990 to 1993 so this was like very relevant at the time but if you're watching it now you're like what the fuck are they talking if you're young, this is what we had to do before memes. <laughs> we just had to. <laughs> all we did was just yell quotes uh, from movies, TV shows, and commercials at each other. Yeah, that's it. Was uh... <laughs> can you hear me now? <laughs> You've got mail. <laughs> My wife gives me a hard time because I'll literally just like talk in slogans every every like business to drive by i'll just like say the tagline for it or something and yeah. so like every time i drive by dairy queens i'm like mm, cool hot <laughs> <laughs> eats cool treats nice. that reminds me actually one of the um not one of the first times i met your wife but one of the first times that we all went out to dinner together she pointed that out to me she's having to watch all these movies because you right. and i and you and lee and everybody else all of us within our like friend circle can just talk in movie quotes to each other. Yeah. And she grew up very, very Christian or she did not have access to the same amount of movies. She had a DVD player that right. It was she like had a clean flicks DVD player, which has a thumb drive, which has data on it. It reads the movie. And if it has the, uh, the matching metadata, it knows when to skip scenes, when to mute the scene. Oh my God. She told me she watched Titanic. On it and it was like 45 minutes long holy shit <laughs> like, that reminds me that reminds <laughs> i got the dvd of freddie got fingered the other day yeah. but that has the pg cut of the movie that he submitted to the mpaa just for lulz <laughs> it's three minutes long <laughs> <laughs> speaking of growing up very christian and watching these kind of movies though john you have a lot of information on this well here's the thing this particular movie is like a Mormon company, but they don't like expressly say that. But I feel very fortunate in that my dad, all of my movie tastes came from my dad and my dad. We didn't watch like crappy movies like I would consider this like a pretty crappy movie. <laughs> yeah. um, but like I grew up on like 70s and 80s like SNL comedy stars. And so I grew up with the Bill Murray, the Steve Martin 
and Chevy Chase. And like, that's what my dad liked. And so that's what I grew up on. And so uh, as far as like kind of the crappy Christian movies and TV shows of the time, there's like some of that I watched, but a lot of it, it was just always so bad that we like it, the good that they were doing or like trying to do didn't outweigh just like how artistically and technically bad it was. <laughs> and so that's something that I've always struggled with or like have always thought about is like why is it that like religious media or christian like music or movies always seem to be on like a lower tier and like just not not hitting the mark and so i would be interested to hear your guys's opinion on it because i have like my reasons why i think but like why do you think that is that like a christian film production doesn't hit the same levels as like a mainstream one or like a christian artist music artist doesn't hit the same levels i have a few theories so my thing is that they try to be too ham-fisted a lot of times they try to force it down your throat and that throws a lot of people off and when that's your entire goal everything else from the production is going to take a backseat to that there's a few examples specifically in the music uh world that i can say bands that are very christian and they have a very christian message but it's not overt, and so they have mainstream success. POD is one that's you know very, very successful um, mm-hmm. in the early 2000s, but they had a very Christian message. Switchfoot's another great example that had pretty good mainstream success. Same thing with Reliant K, the lead singer from Reliant K. He dated uh, Katy Perry, Katy Perry at yeah. one point. Um, so there's a lot of overlap within there. You know, I grew up Catholic, but I'm not you know any sort of Christian or Catholic anymore. But I can still enjoy that music because it has a message, but it's not shoving it down my throat where it detracts and distracts from the rest of it. Yeah. So I would say that's a primary reason with movies. So like something like Bible Man will never compare to Power Rangers because as the name implies, it has one main goal and purpose. Okay, so my theory is just the the industry in general when you think of hollywood um when they're making a movie and they're funding a movie generally you want to fund the projects that reach the widest audience and so that's who gets the funding mm-hmm. whereas these christian productions i mean they're a niche they're mm-hmm. a much smaller audience they're only going to appeal to that crowd most of the time especially if they're setting out specifically with that message in mind, like the buttercream gang, you know, is very overtly um, Christian. They're in church and you see their pastors, part of their community and all that stuff. Yeah. Uh, pastor, pastor coach is how I wrote <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah, he's a, the pastor. He's the coach. He's he literally <laughs> says, what could be more important than baseball <laughs> when, <they're, laughs> yeah. when they ride off to help someone? I'm like, well, you are a pastor. So I think it's just like, you know, I don't think Hollywood wants to really throw a lot of money at these projects. So they're sort of forced to fund them themselves. And so automatically they'll have less resources. But it could also be a choice that maybe they choose to fund their own projects 
as a way to have complete control over them that maybe they fear if they try to pitch it to a larger studio or bigger investors that they will request changes that they're not comfortable with. I see parts of what you're saying. And I think some of that ties into what I said, where, you know, the overt goal is, you know, to put that in the forefront of, you know, putting this religious message in the forefront and the more successful ones that have had mainstream success don't have it. Here's an example within the world of television. It's seventh heaven was a very Christian show. You know, it really is. I mean, I guess the name implies that really, Mm -hmm. but that had mainstream success outside of that, just within the like, you know, family sitcom kind of like drama world, you know? So they took a backseat. It was not, here's your Bible quote opening the movie, uh, the show. Yeah. Right. So that's, that's where it is. And they don't want to alienate an audience and they want to potentially get more people involved with it. So you put it in the back burner. I remember the first time I listened to Reliant K, I was like, oh, these guys, these guys are religious. Yeah, I was just like, oh, is that a banjo? Sick. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, and I guess that was always my frustration growing up was that it always seemed like, you know, Christian music. I'll just use that as an example was never the originators. They were always like a knockoff, per se, of something else. Are you you telling me they didn't create the concept of a guitar rhythm game with guitar (laughs) praise? You tell me that's a ripoff of something, John? (laughs) So you have like, you know, Buttercream Gang is like a terrible movie, but then you have a similar movie in Stand By Me, which is like considered a classic. Um, Or you have like The Goonies, when is more like the second Buttercream Gang. And, you know, I think of like, you know, Reliant K was heavily influenced by Blink-182. I always got to bring Blink-182 into the conversation somehow. (laughs) That's how I am. But, you know, it's always just like, where is like the originality? And it's like, okay, I'm not going to listen to Eminem. I'm going to listen to this white Christian rapper who's portraying an Eminem like vocalist. Instead of just being themselves and being original, always just felt like a cheap version of it and i do like reliant k though i think they were able to kind of reliant k is one of the ones that does go out out of there there's a lot of people i know that listen that don't realize that it's religious because there was a lot of christian pop 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 punk punk bands in the early 2000s and stuff and most of them are completely disappeared and gone and um so yeah and i mean i always think of the the South Park episode where Cartman starts a Christian band. I don't know if you've seen that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen it. So where they just take all the love songs and change the word, the lyrics, to Christian lyrics or whatever. All right, guys, this is going to be so easy. All we have to do to make Christian songs is take regular old songs and add Jesus stuff to them. See, all we have to do is cross out words like baby and darling and replace them with Jesus. And it's just like, it's true, like, you just change the lyrics and you steal or, you know, inspired you by borrow. Yeah, you borrow. <laughs> uh, and then you have like a captive audience that'll buy it. And I think the standards of Christians for like art and music and film are pretty low. I need you in my lap, Jesus. I can't live without you, Jesus. And I just want to feel you deep inside me, Jesus. The reason why that works, and I feel like it's continuing to happen, is because it it works. 
And what it is is they know that there's families that don't want these kids to be exposed to pop punk or, you know, this movie. Just pop culture in general. Because of one reason or another. So you have this sanitized version of it that has elements of it that can still hook the kid just enough that it's an acceptable, you know, know, uh, stopgap. Because I can imagine as a, you know, a Christian parent, obviously, you know, if your kids are, especially if they're going to like a public school or something like that, you know, all of your kids' friends are going to be partaking in pop culture and listening to the popular music and watching the movies and all of that. And if you personally feel that pop culture doesn't align with your values and your kid is going to be craving that kind of content you know like they just want to fit in with their peers and so you want to give them the next best thing the closest thing possible and so that's why a lot of these companies go out of their way to make them like knockoffs essentially that they're not original content they're just like you know things that already exist but with a christian spin on them or like they're watered down reminds me of that meme you know Mom, can we get the Blink-182 CD? We have Blink-182 at home. It's a fucking Reliant Gate CD. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, I think for me, it it just had like the opposite effect. You know, it just pushed me more towards listening to Blink-182 or Mm -hmm. more towards listening to rap. I can imagine being in your shoes, being at a friend's house who has to listen to the neutered versions, right? And then hearing this like, what other bands sound like Reliant K just <laughs> listening to Blink-182 <laughs> and Green Day afterwards? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just part of my personality is I'm like a purist when it comes to things. Oh, yeah. And so like, I remember when I found out that Walmart CDs were like the edited versions and I was just like, oh no! <laughs> like, I can't <laughs> believe I've been listening to some like just random version of the song, you know, and I remember when I learned that, and this is a very embarrassing CD to learn it from, <laughs> but it was uh, Limp Biscuits' uh, second CD. And I, 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 it's called. I don't remember what it was called either, but like, it's the one that everyone knows, you know. Hey, Google, what was Limp Biscuits' second CD? Limp Biscuit has released 19 albums. <laughs> <laughs> significant other. other. That's the one. Significant other. That's. <laughs> that one was uh censored and i was like I am never... albums? yeah wow. they never stopped that cd i got home and i realized it was censored and i never bought another cd at walmart again just go download it off napster yeah <laughs> so i mean this leads to i mean if we want to talk about the 90s like the whole like christian community in the 90s there was like the satanic panic mm-hmm. you know and you guys touched on it in the Law satanic Enforcement cults. Guide to Satanic Cults <laughs> yeah, episode. That episode. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just funny to me how things have changed since the 90s. So, you know, a story from my childhood is the Harry Potter books. You know, they came out. I read the first three and my church literally had like an evening service where the pastor read like excerpts from the book. It was like, if your kids are reading this, you know, this is sinful, this is bad. And there's like, you know, the whole church is gathered there. And I remember my mom like looking down at me, he's like, are you reading these books? I was like, no, not at all. (laughs) Harry Potter, what's that? So, you know, Harry Potter was like the 
huge like thing that parents raised and churches raised against. Yeah. And then now it's like my wife's parents like favorite movie series and they watch them and love them. And it's just like, what like what changed if they were like so bad and satanic and demonic and whatever to like fast forward to the 2010s and it's like oh it's fine we were overreacting i think it's so funny because like even pokemon was a big one because it pushed it pushed evolution and then like when pokemon go came out i was hanging out with you and a bunch of people from your church like all running around together catching pokemon together so this is funny did you know that there's actually a fan fiction out there called harry potter and the school of prayer and miracles (laughs) It's actually pretty recent. It's like some woman wrote a fan fiction about it's basically just like a retelling of Harry Potter, but about them being at like a Christian That's school. That's exactly what I'm talking Their about. Their powers come from God and holiness. And it's really funny. Um, at least they call it Harry Potter. And it's not, you know. <laughs> if you want to hear like a really funny um, one of my favorite live streamers, Jabroni Mike, he actually did a series where he did a dramatic reading of the fan fiction and it's really good so go check that out on youtube why why oh well i kind of touched on it and that like it was always just kind of because they just it's always just knockoffs Mm -hmm. and um i you know i think looking through kind of like church history you know you, you had the church responsible for a lot of art and a lot of creativity and a lot of the Sistine Chapel and you know they commissioned that and had it paid for by the church because they used to value making art that would like last and was meaningful and um, it feels like these days um, and like all growing up that the standards for excellence and quality uh, in music and film and art for the Christian community was particularly low there are um some standouts you know but overall like i can count on like one hand great like christian films or like movies directed by um by like a christian that are like great or have like strong religious overtones and really the only one that actually like comes off the top of my head is uh passion of the christ Mm. which is like it on its own, regardless of the story or anything, is just like it's a great movie, and it's like it was a really well received movie. Dude, Not even just, the um the Prince of Egypt. The Prince of Egypt is another one. Um, I was uh, thinking about the Book of Eli. Book of Eli, the that's another Eli. good one. Denzel. Yeah. Um, so it's like it's just so few and Dogma? far between. Dogma. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin Smith, I mean, he was raised Catholic, you know, like, but uh, I love his movies. Um, Only that one really counts, though. (laughs) So, surely you're familiar with Left Behind. Uh, Yeah, Left Behind. uh, I read the first book back in the day. And I haven't watched any of the movies. I have Left Behind 1 and 2 on VHS. And I also have a sealed copy 
of the making of Left Behind 1 and 2 yeah. on VHS. You there's, know, there's a third one. I didn't know that, but there is, and I don't have it. Yeah, so there's a, there's it. a lot of problems with <laughs> those movies yeah. and those books that yeah. I don't need to go into. This isn't <laughs> a, a theology podcast. <laughs> yeah, but. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's just, you know, as someone who values, you know, great uh, creativity and great art and music and things, seeing Christian artists not innovate and come up with original things and instead trying to just kind of be like whatever secular artist is top in the charts, you know, like it's just pointing, you know. So I've always kind of had the heart make a movie about like some Bible story or something and like actually have it be like really good. But it's it is like a very difficult thing to do because the the Bible is not really like totally family friendly and like there's a lot of stories you can't just like make a movie about and I wish we I wish we could be better. But Christians deserve better. <laughs> you deserve better, Christians. Right. right. Come on. Would you be able to have biblically accurate angels? <laughs> <laughs> Dude, do you yeah. remember? I think it was like the late 90s, early 2000s. There was like this big like angels fat that every like society went through. We had like angels in the outfield, city of angels. Yeah. Fucking. Uh, There's like... always like something. So I, I grew up going to Blockbuster and I also worked at Blockbuster for a little while. But there's always like that thing where there's like the angels fan and then there was like volcano movies. There's like uh, asteroid, asteroid movies, yeah. Yeah, like Armageddon and Impact, uh, deep sudden impact, yeah. deep impact. What's sudden impact? That's something else. I don't know. Sudden impact. <laughs> um, it's probably like another one. Always, <laughs> like, <laughs> There's always like two or three movies that would release like the same year that had like the same like theme to them. You know, there was Volcano was literally the name of it, and then Pierce Brosnan was in Dante's Peak, and mm-hmm. they both came out like right at the same time. And, and volcanoes <laughs> are so hot right now. <laughs> So maybe we'll see we'll see Christian films innovate again soon. Like their time is coming, you know. I don't know. It's <laughs> it's unlikely because um, there are like Christian movies being made. Um, I haven't brought myself to watch them at all. Like I think Fireproof was like really a really popular one. I haven't I had, like, heard of this movie. Like Firefighter, whatever. Um, but yeah, who knows? Who knows? Bruce Almighty. <laughs> Bruce Almighty. <laughs> that was a great movie. I love Bruce Almighty. I, I don't think that counts, though. Sure it does. <laughs> sure it does. I think that he counts. gets the power of from God. I think Not that counts as much as sweeps week. <laughs> Tom Cruise needs to reboot Buttercream Game. Tom Cruise <laughs> needs bigger boots. Like. <laughs> <laughs> Buttercream oh. Gang, though. I don't know. So the first movie, skip it, watch it. What do you think, John? Um, I mean, there's no reason to ever actually watch it. <laughs> um, but if you are curious, I would definitely watch the first one and skip the second one. Um, if you had to choose 
And I think the first one, it works on some levels just because it is actually trying to tell some kind of story. And there is like conflict and there's relationships and people grow and change and all of that as corny as literally every line of dialogue is it at least was like trying i don't think it like nails it but it was at least trying whereas the second one is just completely silly and goofy and the climax of that first one made it worth it yeah pete's breakdown was great to watch yeah i agree with everything john said it's you know you know what it's harmless watch it you if you know? find it at the thrift store yeah just, just pick it up you know grab it whatever pick it up pour some shots yeah. no. it's it's not great but it doesn't i don't think it harms anyone being in the world there's nothing infuriating about <laughs> it you're saying it's the world is not neither better nor worse for buttercream yeah gang that it's just kind of a thing you know like sometimes we watch stuff that makes me so mad that's like it's it's bad in a way that like infuriates me that i'm like i wish this did not exist what did we watch that made you so mad um <laughs> oh my god what did we watch halloween 2 no i'm just kidding <laughs> i'm just kidding um but then there's some things that you're like okay this is amazing this needs to exist people need to see this yeah. and then you have this kind of gray area where it's like well that was a thing and I feel Buttercream Gang falls into that category that it's a thing. Um, it's I mean, it's got some pretty nice shots that I think that if you grew up in a small town, maybe you would get a sense of like nostalgia or warm fuzzies okay. watching it and okay. just seeing the, you know, the kids running around playing and the simple small town life that, you know, that's fine. But I mean, it's not don't go out of your way to see it by any means. The second one, I'm just, you know throw it in the trash, light it on fire. It's awful. It's so fucking boring. It should not exist. It's bad. Um, no redeeming qualities about it whatsoever. I was too drunk last night to remember it. <laughs> <laughs> I remember Conquistadors. And... <laughs> it was literally the first scene. <laughs> I remember Conquistadors. <laughs> I remember uh, the fat kid climbing up a, a cliff and them yelling at him to get down. <laughs> I think that's where we tapped out. I we remember like, him finding a stick and then the pastor coach being like, don't take it off. It might disintegrate because it's old. Was it pastor coach? Oh, no, they found like the scroll. That's how yeah, they knew they, where the they, treasure They had was. an archaeologist that they added, right? They're just hanging out with some archaeologists at the beach. It was. Yeah, it was dumb. It's really fucking dumb. Don't watch it. Once again, we would like to thank our guest, John, for being on the show and being our first guest. Thank you for having me. It's an honor. And um, be sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We're also on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, anywhere you listen to podcasts. Give us a five-star review. We'll read your review on the show. Check out our website, vhssaturday.com. We now have a mailing list if you would like to sign up for updates straight to your inbox. Don't forget, we also still have stickers available that we are selling through DMs. So shoot us a DM on any of our social media to get a hold of one. Thanks so much for listening, and we will see you next week. Until then, be, be kind, kind, rewind. rewind.